Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. On December 30th, the Democratic Republic of Congo held elections that would mark the country's first peaceful transfer of power since its independence in 1960. The long-standing ruler, Joseph Kabila, had effectively delayed these elections for years, but finally promised to step down and cede power to the winner of these elections. Votes were cast, ballots were counted, a winner declared— And according to several reports, a massive fraud was perpetrated. The Catholic Church, which served as an independent election monitor, has said that the declared result do not match their data. And on January 15th, the Financial Times newspaper obtained the raw data from electronic voting machines, which demonstrated a wide margin of victory for the opposition candidate Martin Feulu, who was not declared the winner. On the line with me to discuss what appears to be industrial-scale election fraud in the DRC is Ida Sawyer. She is the Deputy Director of Human Rights Watch's Africa Division and a longtime observer of politics in the DRC. In this conversation, she explains who the main candidates are, why this election is so significant, and how this fraud was apparently carried out. Over the next several weeks and perhaps months, this election-related drama will unfold in the DRC. Events are unfolding quickly, and as we speak, there are new developments every day. This conversation gives you the context you need to understand and interpret these events as they unfold. I think you'll find this very, very useful. I know I did. Before we begin, I wanted to let you know about a way you can share this podcast with others who are similarly interested in global issues beyond the headlines. I'm launching a referral program in which for the simple act of telling people about the show, you can earn some freebies and rewards from me. If you just tell one person about the show, I'll send you my specially curated list of over 50 Twitter handles and Instagram accounts that I put together for global affairs nerds and enthusiasts and whom you should be following. The rewards get better from there, including a tote bag with a podcast logo on it and a free trial of my Dawn's Digest Global News Clips service. To learn more and enter this limited time promo, you can go to globaldispatchespodcast.com or click on the link in the description field of this podcast episode. It's really easy. All you need to do is click on the link, enter your email. You'll be given a referral code. You send that link to another person and everyone wins. All right. Now, here is my conversation with Ida Sawyer of Human Rights Watch. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. 
So these elections in the Democratic Republic of Congo have been long awaited. The, the current president, Joseph Kabila, has been in power since 2001, um, and he was supposed to leave power by December 2016 at the end of his constitutionally mandated two-term limit. But he's used one tactic after another to delay elections and hang on to power, including a lot of repression against pro-democracy activists and the opposition and peaceful protesters uh, and large scale corruption and just uh, a, a strategy of really delaying and finding a reason, uh, excuses, whether it's logistical or financial or anything else to say that they can't organize elections. Um, and but there's been a lot of pretty significant and growing pressure on Kabila and those around him to finally organize these elections, uh, including domestic national pressure, as well as from key regional leaders and key international players. And this pressure eventually forced Kabila to accept to organize these elections, which were originally scheduled on December for December 23rd, uh, 2018. So just last month. Uh, and then there was still some question about whether he would actually step down uh, as the constitution calls for. He couldn't run for another term. Um, but there were reports that he was trying to get around that. Mm. But the pressure continued and he nominated a candidate from his ruling coalition, uh, Emmanuel Ramazani Shadari, as his candidate. And it was then, you know, it seemed clear that he was preparing to to eventually step down. So he would and finally, then, he would finally like relent. I, I remember, I think I, I had Tom Periello on the show probably like two years ago, like around mm -hmm. December 2016, right after he left his State Department post as the uh, President Obama's envoy to mm -hmm. uh, to to the DRC, where he was like kind of leading the U.S. efforts to try to convince Kabila to hold these elections. But uh, as you said, they were eventually finally held over two years late in December 2018. Um, and... I guess, like, what do we know right now? And I know this is like an evolving situation about the election results and how the election was conducted. Yeah. So I guess it's it's important to state, first of all, that the elections and the whole you know, electoral process leading up to the voting day on December 30th was marred by lots of irregularities and repression. Um, many opposition candidates were blocked from even contesting and participating in the election. Uh, some were, you know, their their candidacies were rejected. Others, including Moise Katumbi, one of the leading opposition figures, was blocked from entering the country to file his candidacy. Um, and a then, classic tactic. A cla don't, yes, don't let him yes. in the country. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. um, and But there were some key opposition figures who were allowed to contest in the elections, uh, and but during that whole lead up to the elections and then the official campaign period one month before the elections, repeatedly rallies organized by opposition leaders and protest led by pro-democracy youth movements were violently repressed by security forces, with in many cases security forces firing on peaceful protesters, rounding up protesters and throwing them in jail. A number of media outlets close to the opposition have also been shut down. Uh, you know, 
not just in the lead up to the election, but mm -hmm. in you know, the past few years while we've had this you know, ongoing political crisis. Um, and then the government and the Electoral Commission, which is very closely controlled by uh, the government, insisted on using these electronic voting machines, which had never been used before in Congo. And the opposition was rejecting that, calling for these machines not to be used. They felt like they would be you know, a tool to facilitate fraud during the elections. Yeah, imagine that. And yeah. yes. Well, and, and there was, um, of course, that, that like mysterious some... fire, right? In, in the yes. uh, warehouse holding all these election machines. Exactly. So just in you know, a couple of weeks before the elections were due to take, to take place, this suspicious fire broke out in one of the main uh, warehouses in Kinshasa holding a number of the voting machines and other elections materials. Uh, and it's still unclear who was behind that fire, what actually happened. But that was then used as one of the excuses to delay elections by as was week. as was um, the Ebola outbreak too yes right? well that was more used so they at first they they delayed elections across the country from December 23rd until December 30th and then just before a few days before the election was you know, held on December 30th they announced that elections in three key areas including in Beni uh, and Butembo in eastern Congo, and then in Yumbi in western Congo, that elections there would be postponed until March. Hmm. Uh, and they used the excuse of the Ebola outbreak in Beni in the east and also security uh, situation with armed groups active in in Beni and Butembo, and then an ethnic conflict that had just broken out in Yumbi. But these are all opposition strongholds, and it seemed very suspicious, you know, local officials and the populations in Beni, Butembo and Yumbi all said that there was no reason elections no. needed, you know, couldn't be held on time as scheduled. So, and, yeah, so, so I should say, I'm going to um, probably do an episode pretty soon on like the whole Ebola situation. It's the worst Ebola outbreak mm -hmm. since uh, the West Africa Ebola outbreak of a few years ago. So I'll admit it to like a whole uh, another episode to that. Um, uh, that's just to, to, for, for listeners out there to be aware. Um, but nevertheless, you know, despite all of these delays, um, all mm -hmm. of these, um, sort of engineered, um, attempts at, at sort of fraud, it seems, and, and reducing turnout among people who mm -hmm. might vote against the preferred candidate of uh, Kabila, uh, the elections did happen. Yes. Um, what do we know uh, about the results as they were publicly announced and the results as they more likely are to be in real life in actuality. Yes. So the, yeah, despite all of these efforts at voter suppression and including use of security forces and armed groups to encourage people to vote for a particular candidate, in many cases, the ruling coalition's candidate, despite all of this, people went out in big numbers to vote and really showed that they, you know, they wanted to participate in their democratic right and vote for their new leader. And what we heard in the, a few days after the elections happened, the Catholic Church, uh, their conference of bishops in Congo, which is extremely independent, widely or extremely respected, uh, widely viewed as an independent institution, 
huge uh, support with uh, within Congo, and they've taken a strong stance in defense of democracy and justice and rights issues in Congo over the years. And they had an observation mission during the elections with some 40,000 observers deployed uh, across the across the country to different polling stations. And they first, before the announce, the provisional results had been announced, the Catholic Church representatives told the diplomats in Kinshasa that they uh, that their observation mission had conclusive information about who won the elections, and uh, they you know, privately told individuals that it was clearly Martin Fayulu, the uh, one of the main opposition leaders who won the election. Uh, and this was also in line with a poll that had been conducted by the Congo Research Group uh, just a few days before the election, which showed Fayulu with a very uh, large lead uh, ahead of the other main candidates. Uh, but then when the Electoral Commission came out with their pro provisional results, uh, like three in the morning last uh, Wednesday to Thursday night, they announced that Felix Chisikedi had won the election and that Fayulu, uh, another opposition leader, had come in second and that Shadari, Kabila's uh, candidate from the ruling coalition, came in third. And this was seen as really a surprise uh, to, to many observers, to many Congolese. Uh, many people suspected that there would be rigging of the electoral, electoral results and that the commission would declare Shadari as the, the winner, even if that clearly wasn't the case. Um, but it appears that Shadari, uh, Kabila's candidate, did so poorly in the actual election that they they weren't able to um, you know, rig it enough in his favor. Wouldn't it be convincing to declare that he had won, especially after the information that the Catholic Church had leaked about or had shared about their observation mission? So they went with this Felix Giusecchetti, the other opposition leader, who, according to the Catholic Church observation mission, <laughs> didn't actually win. So this you know, led to a lot of questioning about what happened there. And there's been a lot of suspicion that there was some sort of backroom deal between Felix Chisikedi and Kabila and his camp to allow Chisikedi to be the, the winner, the declared winner, but Kabila would try to uh, maintain the real no, as main, keep keep hold of the strings of power as much like as he, you can. Like Chisichetti would be fraudulently declared the winner so long as he let Kabila and Kabila's cronies sort of retain some of the spoils of of yes. the of the presidency yes. and also maybe retain control of certain sort of sectors of the economy or the security security sector. forces. Yeah, the security exactly. forces. Um, and I, I suppose you probably saw that Financial Times article yes. out today, and, and, and we're speaking mm -hmm. on uh, Tuesday. And uh, this article, sort of the, 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 the reporters got a hold of both um, the, the, the church data and also like broader election data and saw that it wasn't even close between Fayulu and Chisichetti. It yes. was Fayulu like won in in a landslide. Yet yep. they engineered this like massive fraud. Um, can you just explain who are these two men? Where do they come from? Uh, what should sort of observers know about them? Yeah. 
So Felix Chisikedi is so who was declared the the winner of the election, but who, according to this data from the Electoral Commission that was leaked to the Financial Times and others and the church's observers, was not at all the winner and came in far behind Martin Fayulu. So Chisikedi, he is the son of Etienne Chisikedi, the late, longtime opposition leader who for decades was the main Congolese opposition leader. Uh, in the last elections in 2011, he ran against Kabila and another election that was marred by irregularities and violence uh, and a lot of chaos. And in the end, you know, really for observers, it wasn't really clear who won, but many people believed that Etienne Chisikedi did win and that Kabila stole that election from him. So Etienne Chisikedi uh, died in uh, February of 2017 and Felix is his son. Uh, he is you know, newer in politics, but he's been leading the, the UDPS opposition political party uh, as one of their main leaders since his father passed away. And he's from the Kasai region in the central part of the country. Uh, and his his party has, has a lot of support, but some of this support has waned uh, in recent weeks and months. And this was basically came after attempts by the opposition to come together around a common candidate. And so you had these a meeting in Geneva in a couple months ago with the sort of seven main opposition leaders, including those who were uh, disqualified or not able to run and those who were on the ballot able to run. And they came together with the Kofi Annan Foundation, uh, mediating and supporting them and tried to come to agreement on a common candidate who they would all support. And they agreed on Martin Fayulu, so this other opposition leader. And that, you know, everyone thought for a day, okay, maybe there's a chance now of the opposition being united and putting up a united front against uh, Kabila's candidate, Shadari. But then just a day after that, Chisikedi uh, basically withdrew from that agreement uh, together with Vital Kamari, another opposition leader among this group of seven. And they eventually said, no, we're going to go it alone. Felix is still a candidate and Vital Kamari uh, threw his support behind him. And so that was met by you know, a lot of Congolese saw that as um, you know, a move. You know, they, they questioned what his motives were, if he was really committed to you know, the opposition staying united around a common candidate. Um, but that's basically how he ended up with these two main opposition leaders. And then Fayulu uh, hasn't had as much of a uh, national profile as Felix Chisikedi and some of the other opposition leaders, but he has been uh, you know, a long-term opposition leader. Um, he's from Bandundu, but active in Kinshasa, the capital, uh, and he's a former ExxonMobil executive um, and then went into politics, a member of parliament, very outspoken and you know has uh, you know outspoken critic of Kabila of uh, the human rights abuses, the policies of Kabila and his government and the security forces, and he seemed to be someone who is you know has sort of gone out with the people in protest. He himself has been injured during protest um, and has you know he's presented himself during the campaign as 
sort of the candidate of the people. So, so the the commentary that I've seen from NGO people and from other observers is that Fayulu is sort of like a, a reformist candidate. That he's sort of like the the real deal when it comes to wanting to you know adhere more closely to like the rule of law and promote human rights, and is the kind of candidate that, um, frankly, would would um, signal sort of a, a sharp change in the political landscape of uh, the DRC. Yeah, I think there is, there's definitely that, that sense that he does represent real change. And I think you know, the one, the one thing we can definitely take away from this election is that the people voted for change and they want, they want something different. They don't want a continuation of uh, the way Kabila has led the country for the past 17 years. Um, and I think this, you know, Felix Chisigedi and his party, they've also represented change and they've, you know, been strong in, in stand, standing up to, uh, to, you know, attacks on human rights and other bad policies in the past. But I think there's a lot of suspicion now, you know, is, will, will he be able to actually act independently? And the fact that they appear to have rigged the election in his favor, you know, there are a lot of questions around, you know, what did he agree to or what sort of room will he have to actually maneuver if he is confirmed as as the, the actual president? So, you know, as we're speaking, the situation is obviously um, evolving very quickly. Um, you know, it's hard to kind of predict over the next, you know, by the time people listen to this, what the next sort of iteration right. of this election drama will be. So I won't maybe ask you to, to kind of go go through it but uh, just kind of taking a step back like how bad can this get yeah i think there, there's a real risk that it's it's just you know we, we aren't near the end of it and it could it could just get worse in terms of the violence and repression repression and abuse that we might see and you know if uh Chisikedi is declared the you know confirmed as the winner inaugurated as president and there are all of these very serious doubts about the credibility or legitimacy of his of his win and people you know many people in the country see it as a nomination and not an election uh, I think that will that will lead to more protest and uh, you know judging from what we've seen in the past there's a real risk of more very violent, uh, brutal repression from the security forces against protesters. Um, there's also a possibility of armed rebellion against these results. We already have a situation in Congo where some 140 armed groups are active in eastern Congo, um, and the security forces themselves have a long history of involvement in serious human rights abuses. Uh, how are they all going to react to uh, a Chisikedi victory uh, if they feel like it doesn't represent what people voted to voted for um, so the, the risks of this you know instability violence repression continuing and getting worse are very real um, and what we've also seen which is really worrying is an increase in ethnic tensions uh, just in the past week uh, with the people from the Kasai region the, the Luba from the Luba ethnic group uh, who this is where uh, Chisikedi is from, going against 
members of other ethnic groups who are seen as being supporters of Fayulu and vice versa. Um, and you know, there's there's a risk of those tensions escalating and becoming more violent. Um, so, what what role can um, regional groups like say the SADC, which is the the regional body, it's a collection of um, governments in the southern Africa, do to try to perhaps um, ensure that the real winner Fayulu takes his seat in in Kinshasa. So they, the regional leaders, including SADC, but also the AU uh, and key individual states and heads of government have a really critical role to play. And we've seen throughout this crisis that pressure from the region has been key in pushing Kabila to make concessions. So pushing him eventually to agree to organize elections, eventually then to agree to nominate another candidate, not run himself. Um, and the, the position that these regional leaders take now is going to be critical for whether, you know, whether they're going to get away with an election that's not seemed to, you know, represent what people actually voted for, or are they going to be pushed to accept the, you know, the real results of the election and declare the person who, who actually got the most votes as the winner. And we've really seen a mixed bag up until now. And, it's sort of going, you know, strong statement and then backpedaling. And we saw that just this weekend, there was a strong statement coming from coming from Sadiq. Uh, well, partly strong. It basically had had a mixed message. It said at first said that they called for uh, a government of national unity and for all sides to work together to participate in government together, but then also recognized the serious doubts about the credibility of the declared results and called for a recount um, of the recount of of the votes. And, but then some leaders kind of backpedaled and said, no, it's not our position to call for a recount. So it's, it's not clear, you know, we haven't seen yet, reactions since the leak that the Financial Times and others have reported on today. Uh, I believe there's supposed to be a meeting uh, with the African Union led by uh, the the AU chair, Paul Kagame, the president of Rwanda, on Thursday of this week, specifically to discuss the situation in Congo. So we'll be watching closely what comes out of that. Um, in general, what are you looking forward to in the next um, sort of weeks or, or months that will suggest to you one way or the other how this situation will, will sort of play out? Like, are, are there any key inflection points coming up um, aside from the AU meeting you just mentioned? Like, what, like how will you know if this is going to end up um, in sort of utter and complete chaos or not? Yeah, so I think, you know, it's it's coming up pretty soon uh, when they'll need to, according to the electoral calendar, at least confirm the the actual winner of the election. So Felix Giusecchetti was declared the provisional winner. Fayulu has filed a an appeal to the constitutional court uh, and we should have their, you know, their their response to that appeal by January 20th, in theory. Uh, and then we'll see, you know, if there's been that the court is not seen to be independent. Kabila has a lot of influence over the court. But if there's enough pressure from regional and international players, 
on Kabila and those around him to accept the real results. Uh, they might, uh, and if it's you know convincing that uh, what was leaked by the Seni and what the church observers have found uh, is true, they might overturn the results. Uh, but there's also the possibility of canceling the elections and the Electoral Commission's president uh, hinted at this during the Security Council meeting last week and said basically either accept the results I announced or we can cancel the elections. And just, just that cancel would, the election. <laughs> right. right. And that would, you know, basically allow Kabila, would be fine Kabila to stay stay in power and give him, you know, time right. to, to buy some time to figure out his next move. Um, so the, you know, those are really the the, the possible outcomes we could see in the immediate future in the coming days. And then I think, you know, if there is a new president, whether it's Chisikedi who's confirmed or if they switch it and announce Fayulu, um, then what, what they do in in those, those first initial months will be critical. Um, and especially to see you know, whether they're really, you know, able to uh, and have the uh, have the ability and the courage to try to implement real reforms, uh, especially on you know security sector reform and trying to really uh, overturn these you know, cycles of violence and abuse and impunity impunity that have characterized Kabila's rule for the past 17 years um, and which would really symbolize you know, real change for for the Congolese people. Well, Ida, thank you so much for your time for breaking this all all down for me. Like I said, you know, this is an evolving situation, but I think right. you gave uh, us and and me personally uh, some really good and helpful context in which to sort of understand events as they unfold over the next several weeks and months. So, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. All right, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Ida Sawyer. That was very very helpful. And yeah, as I mentioned at the outset, I really do think this conversation uh, is a good grounding for you to understand how these events unfold over the coming weeks. You know, there is a lot of drama and there's new events and new new um, news coming out about the selection every single day. All right. And before I let you go, just want to give a shout out to the University of Manchester's Global Development Institute for being a content partner with the podcast. All right. We'll see you later. Bye.